You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by Win, women in innovation. In each episode, inspiring female innovators share stories of succeeding against the odds in a male-driven industry. Their experiences come from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, brand strategy consultant and global marketing lead at Win. Many people who work in the brand strategy and innovation space would acknowledge Interbrand as a leader in the industry, having created brand visual and verbal identities for brands such as Prozac to brands like Land Rover. Interbrand is also an incredible hub for resources, including its annual Best Global Brands Report, which ranks brands and numerically evaluates the value of brand, something that can seem very elusive at times, especially to the naked eye. Enter Rebecca Robbins. Interbrand's Global Chief Learning and Culture Officer, who is a wealth of knowledge about all things luxury, learning, and of course, brand. In addition to her role as Interbrand's Global Luxury Sector Lead, Rebecca heads up the Interbrand Academy, which is the group's Global Learning and Development Center. As a writer herself, Rebecca has authored a number of publications championing the role and value of branding, and her commentary has been featured in every major publication. Rebecca is also the co-author of the book Meta Luxury Brands and the Culture of Excellence and is a regular conference speaker, lecturer, and member of awards juries. Today's conversation is just the tip of this amazing wealth of knowledge of a human that is Rebecca, and I encourage you to read up on the people, references, places, and things she mentions throughout this episode to learn more. We also get an exclusive look into this year's Best Global Brands Report by Interbrand and the luxury report they just released. I hope you enjoy the episode, and as always, feel free to reach out to talk more about all things win-win and innovation. Hello, Rebecca. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. Hi, Zoya. Lovely to be with you. Lovely to have you. So you have been an interbrand for almost 20 years, moving in different roles, and today you are Chief Learning and Culture Officer. So how has your tenure at Interbrand led you to the role you're in today? Oh, I love that question. And I'm not asked it an awful lot. So thank you for asking it. I guess it goes back to, um, and I'll step back a little bit on that journey. So my background was very much in languages and literature, philosophy. And I think, you know, my time at Cambridge there and, uh, and that fascination with languages and cultures, I think found this connection somehow into the world of brand and culture, because that passion, I guess, the love of language that you have it's fundamentally about a curiosity for culture, for people, for different cultures. And so that relationship between cat brands and culture came to be a deep fascination. And my very first client actually happened to be Lego. Um, when we talk about the brand culture relationship, it's a brilliant example. Um, I, I guess I make that connection because this, this the relationship between brands and culture, I think, through the different roles I've had has always been a constant. And I think, you know, that's been an interesting um, point around different roles that I've I've uh, undertaken or different areas of intellectual property and sort of content and writing and books that I've written. And I also think within brand consultancy, um, what I love about our world is this, I always talk about it as a, as a polymathic business because not only is it polymathic from the diverse range of industries that we're working with and the people within those industries, but also then the type of work that you're invited to get involved in and that you start to get involved in. And within Interbrand, you know, we've always had 
And even more so now over the years, this eclectic mix, really eclectic mix of talent from analytics and strategy, you know, to graphic designers and beyond. So, and, and then I guess the other part of it is also um, a, a travel component. So obviously now I'm, I'm based back again in, in the London um, office, but, you know, in a global role, working across a global network. And I guess two things to share there, you know, having been based both in Europe and the US, there's nothing like being involved and, and working from, from, from other cultures to learn even faster and learn in different ways. So to anyone out there, I would recommend that in a heartbeat to jump into another country <laughs> to get involved in different things. So, you know, that's a fantastic learning curve from so many perspectives. I love also there's a quote from, you know, obviously the late Anthony Bourdain, but and I'm getting a bit nostalgic now. Of course, I used to be in New York, uh, Zoya, and I know you're there. And, but it reminds me maybe of a really um, emotive quote from Anthony Bourdain, because he said, if, I, if I'm an advocate for any, anything, it's to move. The extent in which you can walk in somebody else's shoes, open your mind and move. And I just love that. And I, and I try to sort of channel that, I guess, in a week, in a month, when as a global network, we're working with different cultures and disciplines in how we're doing things across the network. So um, I'll just hold that quote, I guess, as we get started. Yes, what a beautiful start to this episode. So as a part of your role, you oversee Interbrand Academy, which is Interbrand's global center of excellence in learning and development. So how did this initiative come about? And what are you hoping to achieve with it? So I love questions about the academy. It's one of it's one of my deep, deep passions. Um, and in a way, it's really interesting because it's come to be a fusion of, I guess, you know, some of the gravitas of what you have when you're at university and you and you have this chance to go deep down your own rabbit hole in your area of passion and expertise. At the same time, we've really tried to rip it apart in terms of collaboration and co-creation, in terms of the partners and and the different people that we're working with. So I constantly look at it now as it's evolving as a platform increasingly for collaboration and co-creation, of course, alongside all of the things that it's doing to inspire minds across Interbrand and our global network. Um, and to give you an example of some of the things that we do, we are hosting uh, throughout the year, and it's lovely as we're on this podcast, ostensibly uh, on-air live stream sessions. Um, they run throughout the year on a host of different topics, obviously designed to align with the, the nature of the work that we do to accelerate our learning, to inspire, to share current best practice, as, as virtual has become our standard sort of operating platform, you know, what is the role therefore of the chances when we can get together and where we can be together in person? Because in a way that's now become the new rarity, that's become the new, the new luxury. Um, but we're excited by what we can do in 2021. And so if there are any potential partners, collaborators out there, we, we'd love to hear from you. Since Rebecca brought up partners and collaborators, I'd like to share this message, which comes from win-win sponsor Driftwell. Sip into relaxation with Driftwell, an enhanced still water beverage with magnesium, a hint of blackberry lavender flavor, and L-theanine, an ingredient to help promote relaxation. It's a whole new way to cap off your day. In your role working with learning and, of course, the academy, um, I'm sure you've seen all sorts of different uh, education trends and technologies. EdTech is, of course, huge with everything going on with COVID and the way that Zoom has come on the scene, including into the Interbrand Global Brands Report, which we'll talk about in a little <laughs> bit. Are there any trends with uh, within EdTech that you're excited about or are hoping to see? 
Well, I love that. I guess a couple of areas. I mean, ostensibly, it's really interesting because there are a number of universities that we have plans. We're already, we already have conversations in um, planning for things into 2021. And ostensibly, that's been a brand new world and a brave new world for them. They're still currently mobilizing through that. So I think there's also a, an increased role and responsibility, as I see it, for how the world of commerce and academia can come together even better, even more closely in an even more fluid way. Um, there, are, there, are, there, are, there are so many learnings that we have from each other's spheres of excellence that I think can come together to to bring benefits for both for both um, for both organizations so I think that's that's one thing again going back to I, I suppose if we look at this decade if there's one thing it's taught us as we were talking about you know how we work more effectively together back in you know a couple of years ago now collaboration has really taken on new meaning other areas social learning absolutely it's this is another thing where we we launched a new format this year it's a really simple format but we noticed that our design community, for example, is um, one community where they were used to working in a studio, very closely together, huge screens. So the ways of working that we have of different people in our organization is something we really need to take in, in, into consideration. And we we got off the ground quite quickly. We called it Creative Fridays. It worked. I, I love those experiments. Sometimes you just get something going, test and learn, see what happens. And we have these Creative Fridays regularly. And it was really born as a, as a, as a, as a, as a nascent idea with our designers, for our design community. We've also different formats uh, of how you bring people together and why. And I guess the other format is in terms of um, micro learning, because ostensibly, people are probably getting to the end of a very long year. It's, um, it's been a brave new year, we're all adapting. So you know, if I hear the word resilience one time, I'm sure we've heard it a thousand times. Um, but people's energy and, and and how we look after each other. And we talk a lot about leading with love and interbrand. It's something we really believe in and, and being brave and the ability, therefore, through those two things to, to make things happen together. But that's something that we hold very close to our hearts. So that's where we're looking, you know, hard and fast at the time that people have on learning. What is the time that you have for yourself as an individual? And how can we make that most precious and, and inviting and accessible? and integrated into your journey, as well as also the time that we have together for more social learning and, and, and what does that look like? So that those are the, some of the conversations that we've been looking at this year and we'll continue to do more from. And as ever, we'd love to learn from other people. They're constantly an eye on what's going on. I think we can. I think one of our big wishes is into 2021 um, just because to keep learning from each other in the world. Amen to that. Um, so with that, I wanted to congratulate you and the team for another successful launch of Interbrand's annual report, Best Global Brands 2020. I'd love for you to share more about the report and why it was different putting it together this year versus any other year. Oh, thank you so much. And it has been, and, it's, it's, it, and it still is, I guess, it is a very um, poignant moment. Uh, we were meant to be uh, about three or four weeks ago, actually in New York. <laughs> we would have seen you in person, so yeah, it would have been wonderful. We yeah. This time last year, we were launching at NASDAQ. Uh, we had around 300 people in the room with us, which was, which was wonderful. But of course, you know, as ever, as we were saying, going back to the Lego story, every situation of constraint um, gives you a chance for creativity and innovation. So we remobilized across digital platforms, instead of doing uh, a big hero launch event in, in New York, then cascaded across other events in the different uh, markets. Um, globally, we then went regional and we've had a host of three events across three three weeks over the past um, over the past month which has been brilliant uh, it's allowed us to reach obviously a host of new people and have different conversations and also then to invite 
a, a number of different people to be part of those those events along along with us. So that's certainly ripping up the format, experimenting with a new format. Thanks to Nasdaq for their platform and for inviting us on, and that that's been a wonderful um, collaboration and partnership. And another thing, of course, you know, as ever, this was this was something new that we had going and mobilized leading into that, but. We also were looking at how we measure those brands because, you know, ostensibly it's something where how brands have a responsibility in the world is certainly changing. And I think if the past few years have shown us um, so many things, certainly there's been greater fragmentation, fracturing of trust in what we believe in, what we, ha- what we have faith in, whether it's institutions in different forms. And ostensibly we have been seeing in the past two to three years those brands that have been rising up with more active voices um, to really look at how we can change things. Both, both, in, both in terms of those brands themselves, but also um, greater coalitions, and I think collectors of brands. So you know, hashtag purpose and where that takes us. But you know, that's mm. that's a big topic, I think, of brand ethics, of brand responsibility, and and so as you know, Zoya, you know, you, you know what we do inside out. But just to explain for everyone. We measure our brands on on three sort of core pillars, and one of those is the brand strength analysis that we do. I love it because it's almost like my analogy. I have a thing about fast cars, so it's it's almost like getting into the engine room of the, uh, or indeed the engine of the of the car when we do this valuation of a brand. Um, and we and we revisited those 10 factors this year, looking at, you know, are are they still relevant? Do we need to adjust some of them? And we did. And I won't go through the whole detail. Of course, it's all accessible on our website. But I just thought I'd pick out a couple of things that I think are really interesting, because one data point that we looked at was what was there anything that the fastest rising brands in 2020 had in common? So these are typically brands experiencing double digit growth. And certainly what we found, they outperformed um, on three factors, one of which was empathy, another of which was agility. And then the final one was affinity. And of course, what's interesting when we look at these measures, two of those are very closely related to the brand culture and what's going on on the inside of the business. And, you know, I'm deeply in love, as I know you are, with, with the word empathy and what that means to a brand these days and what that really means to a brand. So um, that's, I think, a really, a really interesting data point. And of course, we had new entrants this year. I know um, one of the things that everyone looks to sort of who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down, who's rising. Um, so not surprising that tech went went supersonic. Um, we had new entrants in Instagram at 19. We had new YouTube coming in at 30. And Zoom just just sneaking it in there at, at, at 100. So I think also this year becomes a bit of a new sort of baseline in terms of what we're going to see into 2021. And you mentioned uh, some of the factors that the report looks at. The brand, of course, uses an algorithm that's proprietary to interbrand to go over that a little bit. It looks at, at factors within leadership, engagement, and relevance. And as Rebecca mentioned, you're able to see all of this online. What role do you believe gathering and presenting this information does to help other companies and innovate and, or perhaps companies that are already on the list too? Yeah, I love that question. I think that's also part of the reason why we do it. Ostensibly, you know, this is this is something that we invest our time in. It's it's something that goes back to actually, and, and you know, I love our conversations always about innovation. But it comes from innovation. It comes from there was a day back in the history of interbrand, um, long before my, my 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 involvement in in the interbrand world. And uh, a, a company came to us at the time, and they said we we are under hostile takeover bid. 
And we think our brand is not being truly valued in, in what is being offered as part of that negotiation. And of course, within, and it was literally a matter of weeks, um, a, a really powerful mix of people got together and came up with a new methodology, which really was able to put a value on a brand. Because until that moment, that wasn't possible. And it's interesting now because we almost take this as standard. It's become common language. It's become current, common currency. And so one of our commitments to the industry, if you will, was to continue on that legacy. So having in having been the pioneer and in inventing that measure and the ability for brands, for businesses to, to understand what, what role brand is driving in their organization or indeed to a point not in some cases and where there's more opportunity. You know, certainly that's something that we carry on every year in, in the act of publishing it, but increasingly also in terms of inviting in these open debates and, and conversations. And, and certainly what we saw last year was, I mean, we saw it with, you know, the the past couple of years, as you know, it's um, there's an area that that I'm deeply excited about, which is the luxury um, the luxury brands. We're just launching our luxury report today, everyone. So look out for that; it's, it's very exciting. But they were they were the top performing brands for the past two years in a row on our best global brand study, and of course would have probably continued that trajectory had you know COVID not hit. But I think to your point, there are also even for those brands that have been hit somewhat, um, infinite resilience in how those brands are already rebounding and why they're rebounding that they're re- they're rebounding, and of course that is testament to the uh, underlying strength of the brand over time. So not just in terms of this year, but also how that brand has established itself over the years and continues to invest, I guess, in the long-term health of the brand. And then one final point that was really interesting. I mean, we saw it in Gucci and I guess this might play into a, you know, a question that I, I know you probably have coming up, but it, but we talk about brand culture and, you know, Gucci launched their, their, their shadow board um, a few years ago. And, you know, it's one of many things they did, but it was actually quite a powerful move when you think of, you know, luxury brands have not necessarily been investing as much in their culture and in their people on the inside of the brand. It had very much been chasing, you know, Gen, Gen Y, Gen Z, you know, absolute relentless focus on the consumer which we should have but obviously we always know that great brands not only grow strong from within but they they stay strong from from within from within and so what gucci had been doing and investing in its culture its people in really innovative ways was something that we very much had an eye on of course then you know it's been part of the inspiration as we were looking at launching our own next generation board and that's where i'm fascinated to your point as you know where are the next generation brands coming through you know who are they coming through from and also there are great lessons in- inherently some of these brands are 200 plus years old but actually some of the brands in the study are only 10 years uh, a little bit more old so there are there are lessons there are lessons from everywhere and from all sectors well Rebecca you are stealing all of my questions but that being said <laughs> I will definitely ask you more about that notion of luxury you have an incredible background in luxury you co-authored a book called meta luxury brands and the culture of excellence um, I do think something that's really interesting about luxury is the notion that it is is inaccessible and therefore it's not for everyone. Your role at Interbrand specifically and your passion is what it seems like is culture and inclusivity. So what would you say to a brand that is struggling with ignoring representing or featuring different groups, whether that is plus size models or perhaps minorities or people of color? 
Well, I, I love, first of all, that you're asking the question, because I think that is so inherent on all of us now to be asking those questions. And it's interesting. It's something that we as an academy is going to be taking on even more in terms of uh, a, a platform for much more provocative and open debate. So I think, first of all, we should all be asking that question of ourselves and of the brands that of the brands that we're working with. And, you know, certainly, again, what this year has done is really lit a torchlight in terms of the imperatives for change and for it to come harder, for it to come faster. We're already seeing actually we always we were talking a couple of years ago about what if you know we, the luxury industry is effectively is effectively under the aegis of three major groups and obviously LVMH caring and richemont so you know what if there's more collaboration and coalition within these 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 phenomenal groups in the industry and the voices that they can raise harder and faster so um certainly we're seeing it much um much more on the agenda of companies we're seeing uh, actions probably by the week now and you know are they all necessarily the, the long-term actions not necessarily but there's movement now and i think you see a greater sense of commitment i think what we're looking to now is also sort of helping brands in terms of more sustainable commitments. I mean, I loved when Prada came out just over a year ago, um, obviously in terms of what they're doing around sustainability. And it's not just launching a, a sustainability line, right? Because I think that's what we've seen over past years. It's been sort of one fragment or an element of what a brand is doing. It had always been very separable. And now it's much more looking to how does that become a threat throughout everything we do? So what Prada did in terms of linking, linking, linking their finances and and, and loans through credit through uh, credit agricole to the bottom line. That's a really hard commitment, and it's and it's transparent. It's out there. It's publicly announced. It was actually the CFO who announced it as well, which is really interesting. It didn't come from the comms team. So I think there are some really powerful signals around the uh, around in terms of what's changing. And of course, I also love that you know this is one of the reasons why in the luxury report that's just coming out today, you know I love writing about brands like Telfar as well. So of course there are these leading brands that we value every year because. Hey, they have that scale because the value of their brand is over four and a half billion. But there are exciting brands out there who are doing really interesting things, whether it's at the edges of innovation or in reaching new in, re, in reaching new generations. And you know, I love what Telfar's done. You know, they 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 had this great program, you know, effectively, um, where you know it's everyone gets a bag. And those those to your point about how you play on the dynamics of inclusivity and exclusivity, you know, that's just a little story right there that has just gone wildfire. And I and I love that. And and there are lessons for again, what's interesting, I see just this greater cross-fertilization in terms of how brands of all shapes and sizes and of all ages and areas are are, are borrowing from each other much more and learning from each other uh, much more. So I'm looking to the time when, you know, sustainability goes out of the dictionary because we don't have to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Frankly, it's baked into every business plan and it just, you know, it just becomes what we do and how we do things. And then I wonder how you juggle innovating in brands that have such reliance on their DNA or their old history. How do you push these brands to evolve in a meaningful way? I love that. And I think certainly one of the things that I've always believed in and we see with a lot of brands that we work with is I look at it as carrying forward that legacy. Um, you know, as, as you said, you mentioned meta luxury. And, and I think what we tried to do in meta luxury was look at what do we really mean by luxury? And of course, luxury truly has always been about excellence. Um, and luxury is not a category. That's why I'm fascinated in it. Going back to our, our discussion about the relationship between brands and culture, you know, it's fashion, it's leather goods, it's hospitality, it's jewelry, it's watches, etc. I mean, it touches so many industries. And there are so many, so many brands out there that have borrowed lessons from luxury brands and premium. 
them. So, um, so it's so very much when we look at history, it, it's it's not about looking back; it's about carrying it forward. And there's a, there's a gorgeous quote from um, a gentleman that we had a pri- the privilege to interview. He's one of the living national treasures in Japan. Which, what a, what a country that places such an importance on the aesthetic in their culture. And so these these living treasures effectively are given um, a, a sort of national recognition for life at the moment that they are given that recognition. And it's in the name of not for what they've necessarily achieved to date in their art or their craft or their skill, but in their commitment to how they're going to carry that forward and the sort of living knowledge and transfer. Because, of course, that's what we saw in the in the Stradivarius brand, if you will. They couldn't carry that knowledge forward, so hence, you know, the the increased notion of rarity. And when we look at a shot of areas today, so that's what I think is really fascinating around this dynamic of tradition and, in, and innovation. And Mr. Morose, who is one of these living national treasures, he said, "Tradition is innovation repeating itself." And I think that's a lovely watchword in terms of, you know, we know. And when you look at, I think, this conversation that's been going on over the past years, well, it's all about the rise of the modern DTC brands and the like. The legacy brands are dead. Well, it's not. And it's not that black and white. There's just so much interesting fusion in the two. There's space for both. Um, And actually, I think both will be stronger in terms of what they're all learning from. Um, So I think so I think very much that sense of history is something that we carry forward. And that DNA is something that we constantly reinvent. That's been a huge part of what Gucci have done over the past four or five years. They've literally gone exponential in terms of how their brand value has increased and how they've really connected their sense of culture into the cultural zeitgeist. So that's a a really beautiful example. So thinking about Interbrand itself and Interbrand as a brand and your career trajectory, over the years, you've probably seen different people and Interbrand itself change and grow. What has that been like in terms of seeing women in leadership roles and how has it been for you working through a large company to make it to the C-suite? What's interesting about Interbrand is also that we are we're, we're, we are ourselves, you know, I guess a family of businesses. Yes, we're a global network, but, but you know, there is this sense of how local culture connects into global culture. So um, that I use that phrase, a family, not lightly, because we genuinely, I think, can say that. And we're a collection of families within a global family. And then, of course, we're part of the Omnicom group. So I think also when you're at Interbrand, you do feel connected to not only an eclectic mix of other uh, other people from other disciplines and other cultures, but also then that ladders up to all the other different types of agencies and consultancies that work within within our wider ecosystem. Um, and then the I think the big thing that inspires me, as you know, is also our next generation. And that's something that I have always learned so much from. Um, I've done a lot of mentoring over the years. And I always see mentoring as it's just this visceral two way exchange. It is, you you know, when you're when somebody I see it as such a privilege and a joy, when somebody uh, approaches you and says, you know, I'd love you to mentor me, but I actually say as well, we're mentoring each other, because it's it's a conversation. It's an open conversation at its best where you learn from each other. And so those things over the years, I think, have, have led to, you know, one innovation this year that I know you and I talked about, which was launching our next generation board. You know, it's a real first for Interbrand. We've never done it in the history of Interbrand. This collective of 10 amazing individuals happens to be six women, four men across eight different markets. Um, and you know what was interesting? Um, we had our very first board meeting back in March 
just as uh, Asia was uh, sort of in and out of uh, its its lockdown. So, so our Seoul office was already working working remotely. Our Milan office has already started working re- remotely. And of course, then the following week, we all then cascaded into the lockdown across Europe and the States. So they have never met each other in person. And they have been the most amazing example. People talk about collaboration. They've come together as a group of 10 people and they're doing amazing things to, to, to support us and to really accelerate and future-proof our thinking as we mobilize through a crisis, but also crucially beyond it. So I just want to say a shout out to that to our Horizon Board. What an amazing group of people who came together, again, creativity within constraint, but again, a beautiful example of different cultures, different disciplines, and what they can make happen together. And for you personally, what would you say has been the largest gender-based challenge throughout your career trajectory? That's a really interesting one. I do remember very early on, I think, going to um, a client meeting where, um, you know, you're a very young consultant and you're given that responsibility. And I remember probably looking very young back in those days as well. And I think having to uh, learn, I guess, on the go in context with a client with much older clients, it was all men in the room, I can distinctly picture it to this day. Um, And what you take away from those meetings when people are making assumptions based on, you know, your age, potentially, is it your gender? Um, But they're great learning experiences, they're fascinating learning experiences. And I think, you know, that that learning through different contexts, that learning through uh, how you're working with clients, again, more, more lessons from how 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 that looks when you move to the states a very different you know in many ways of course america and the uk i mean i'm a linguist so i'm fascinated by language and cultures we effectively speak the same language absolutely but did i learn so much from working in in new york and working across the states and south america absolutely that was an exponential learning curve in how you work in business and as a woman in business and so again i go back to that sort of call to action encourage any young woman out there, go and you know hop to a different country, try something else on. If you can do it within your same network, that's great. And again, that's been a great part of Interbrand that makes those opportunities possible when you know they have the chance to look at global mo- global mobility and to you know work with another team or work and be part of another office because it's a great opportunity um, to learn faster and then learn from other cultures. And I, of course, second that as somebody who moved to the States across from the Middle East. So absolutely. Uh, Before I let you go, I'd love to ask you one last innovation question. And that is, where do you see yourself and your industry in one month from now, one year from now and 10 years from now? Oh, Zoya, that's a really tough question. I love it. You always <laughs> ask the challenging questions, though. It's interesting. One month from now, I think, is is a pretty easy one. You know, it's it, that's that's one where we're, we're obviously we've been deep in planning into 2021. So uh, a month from now, we'll be carrying through a lot of that planning and making sure also we're doing a whole rebalancing of what have we learned from 2020 that we can carry forward into 2021 and doing a classic, you know, start, stop, continue exercise. That's a really powerful thing. There are a lot of things, I'm sure, a lot of businesses this year have tried on new experimented with done more we've leaned into our people but our people our culture that is that's where it begins fundamentally so you know the energy of our people is actually crucial in terms of um, a year from now I'll, I'll probably use our horizon board our next generation board as a great example so you know that they will they will be at the the, the end of their tenure then handing over to another generation board. So I'm really excited about sort of what does that look like then? How has it changed? And we're all, we're already having that conversation. So I like to think that, you know, we're, 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 we're really probably working harder and faster now at 
you know, valuing time, Zoya, if that's one thing that this year has taught us, you know, I look back on this year, and I think I've hardly gone to an art gallery. It's, you know, one thing I love is art. And, and when those things aren't possible, we value those things all the more. So how we look at how we value time and our achievements. And then 10 years from now is a really long, but I do, I do think it's interesting, because of course, this happened at the cusp of a new decade. And, you know, b- before it happened, we all think a new decade, it's a little bit like the turn of the year, everything is possible. And of course, the reverse happened. You know, the constraint was upon us, the reset was, up- was upon us. But you know what I would like to see, and somebody asked me, actually, we were all invited to um, share what was our word back at the end of um, uh, last December. If you're going into 2020, a new decade, is there a word you have for, for the decade? And simply, I came up with, I'd like it to be the decade of we. And by that, I meant could this be the decade where we really think hard about collaborations and partnerships? You know, we see that every day in the world of brands and we see them for short term experiments, you know, all the things that we know in terms of reaching new audiences. But what if we and what we do together takes on a really deep meaning and we get serious about what we can change and not just saying it's going to be in 2025, it's going to be this goal. Let's start working harder now at like opening up our doors a little more, tearing down the barriers and actually thinking, Together, we can solve things faster and more effectively. That, for me, I think is really exciting. I'd love to see some of the achievements for that that we're all part of in 10 years from now. What a beautiful way to end the episode. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for being here today. It was a real pleasure. So, yeah, thank you so much. It's always an inspiration. And you always remind me of one of my favorite places in New York, my temple of inspiration, which is Strand Books. And a shout out to them. (laughs) The best. Thanks so much, Zoya. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.